Oh my goodness. All right. I better move on to the next question because I could, I could drop into that rabbit hole deep. All right, welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 171. These numbers are getting big, even for me. Um, I am Mike Anello with a very scratchy post-Florida Drupal Camp voice. Um, So I am going to minimize my interference in today's podcast, unlike most podcasts. Uh, Joining me today, not will be, uh, I should say is, in the present tense, Anna Collada. How are you, Anna? Hello, I'm doing well. Are you uh, recovered from your camping festivities? No, I am definitely not. <laughs> well, okay, that I guess that was a tough question. Yes, no, I need I need uh, like a couple more good nights of sleep and about six gallons of hot tea, and then I think I should be good after that. Mm, tea. Yes. So while I am recovering, you are still you you and uh, the other folks in Chicago are getting ramped up for you got about a week and a half before uh, mid camp, right? Yep. That's getting ready to go. We're getting our last-minute preparations underway. Yeah, there were surprisingly a bunch of people at um, at our camp who said they were going to mid-camp as well. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, I know Morton's really excited. to. He's in San Francisco today, but he'll be back to yeah. talk twig. He gave, he, it was, uh, he gave a two-and-a-half-hour, you know, it was supposed to be double length. It ended up to be about 2.5 <laughs> Um, length session about Twig and you know, everybody loved it. It was it was really really good. So um, yeah. So did you guys record that? No, we did not record anything this year. Um, we're me and the other core organizers are firm believers that if we don't have you know one or two people dedicated to session recording, then we're not going to do it because otherwise it yeah. makes it makes everybody else crazy. So that makes sense. We're lucky to have a couple of guys that. That's what they focus on, and it's always been awesome. Yeah, we've tried. You know, just just one of those things where we've played with the idea of just recording the featured speakers, of which Morton was one of them, or record certain sessions. But we we don't have anyone down here yet, you know, kind of willing to step up and say, you know, I, I will I will carry that flag. So anyway, um, we have someone else who's uh, hanging out with us today, Preston. So uh, hey, Preston, how are you? Hey, Mike, I'm doing well. Sad that I missed uh, Drupal Camp Florida, though. <laughs> uh, the weather was, uh, it's exceptional right now. I can't complain about that at all. Um, right after this, I'm, I'm actually headed out to my daughter's softball game and looking forward to just sitting out in the sun and, and enjoying a nice ball game this afternoon. Um, Hopefully not going to ruin your voice too much with that cheering, though. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. I am under, so my daughter's uh, quite the athlete. She plays on uh, three varsity sports and I am uh, under, or not just me, but everybody is under strict orders on how we're allowed to cheer for her. So um, because of those strict orders, we end up not being able to cheer all that much. <laughs> Do those orders come from her or from their coaches? No, or? no it comes from her. Um, and the ah. long and the short of it is we can only cheer in the past tense. So we can only cheer after something happens. this all started because she plays a lot of soccer you know as she was in the middle of the play or something we would be cheering yeah get that ball or go 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 or run 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 and that she does not like at all so we're only allowed to cheer after she does something so 
Yeah, that'd be it, tough to shout, you know, went, went, went after, you know, <laughs> instead of go, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really cuts down on the cheering quite a bit. It really does. But <laughs> you can tell um, she might get a little bit of that, like a little bit of that control freakness from her father. I don't know. That's what people say. So we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so Preston, tell me if I have your title right. You are the development manager of Aquia Labs. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep, that's right. Um, you're a front-end developer extraordinaire. The extraordinaire yep. is my word, not yours, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> Thank <All right>. you. <laughs> and one thing I learned as I, as I was kind of prepping this podcast is you speak, as I put in the rundown, way too many different languages. <laughs> that is that is correct. Actually, one of the shticks I always tell uh, uh, people at interviews is that um, sometimes you know that that I have more uh, natural languages than programming languages uh, on my resume, and uh, it's always something that uh, gets a lot of laughs from hiring managers. Yeah. So I gotta ask. So you know, what's your background? Where you you were exposed and you know and have learned so many different languages? Sure. Well, um, you know, when I was in uh, grade school, it was always instilled, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Colorado, which has a, a very large uh, Spanish-speaking population, and um, very early it was instilled in us um, <clears throat> as students to, to learn Spanish. We were required to take Spanish. And so I very, you know, early on had a, had a sort of multilingual background, and I ended up um, uh, picking up, uh, you know, some other languages, uh, working on uh, learning Portuguese as well. And it sort of grew into a much larger passion, and I ended up actually majoring in linguistics um, uh, when I was in college. Uh, so um, uh, my, my passion for languages goes well beyond just programming languages, yeah, so, even though I can talk about those all day, too. <laughs> so, Anna, l listen to this list that Preston has listed under languages spoken. So, uh, obviously, English. Uh, Catalan, which is, uh, is, that, is it fair to say that's a dialect of Spanish? It's a language spoken in uh, Catalonia, which is a uh, currently a part of Spain. Yep. Right. So Barcelona area is, is yeah. That's right. Right. Um, so German, Hindi, Korean, uh, Ma Maori. Is that how you say? Yep. Maori. Maori yep. That's right. Maori. Uh, Portuguese. Uh, Brazilian Portuguese. Um, and this is where the list starts getting a little bit crazy. Uh, Russian. Uh, mentioned Spanish. Swahili, Turkish, mm. and Welsh. Ooh, That's wow. right. My That's thesis crazy. actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My thesis was actually about Welsh, um, and uh, uh, so so I you know got the opportunity to spend a, a, a good amount of time in Wales, and um, uh, actually surprised some folks um, who thought that I. Uh, could not possibly be speaking Welsh to them. <laughs> that's that's it. so. Are you currently learning another language or more languages, or is this just kind of like part of who you are? And you're always kind of curious about languages. Well, you know, I've always been really into languages, and um, you know, I I actually learned Hindi for the purpose of traveling to Khan Mumbai, uh, which just happened a couple weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got sort of other Indian languages that I need to learn, such as Marathi, which is the first language spoken um, uh, in Maharashtra, where uh, Drupal Khan was held. Um, but, you know, right now I'm, I'm sort of focusing my attention on uh, Dutch and Arabic because um, I'm, I'm hoping to travel uh, to an Arabic-speaking country later this year, perhaps, we'll see. <laughs> and also, um, I, I will be uh, speaking at Front End United, which is in, in uh, Belgium. So Yes. All right, well, Dutch and or Flemish, I can help you with a little bit there. That, oh, great. That's, that's the only, well, I can speak a little bit of Italian. And actually, yeah, Italian was, was not on your list, surprisingly. Yeah, so, um, you know, Italian is one of those languages that, um, you know, I figure 
part of part of my learning my my um, language learning strategy is to pick up languages that um, are 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 more distant from English before I mm -hmm. sort of return to the ones that are that are a bit closer. I'm feeling really inadequate right now. Really inadequate <laughs> with my with my lack of multilingual uh, skills. <laughs> All right. Well, I can go on talking about that for a while, but we better, we got you here for a whole other reason. So um, before we get to that, let me just mention that today's podcast is sponsored by Linovate. Um, as Drupal developers, you know, we are engaged in the business of building sites for our clients. And generally when we're done, we hand them off to the client and we move on to the next project. Um, but as I'm sure we've all experienced, what happens when there's an issue with the site or, you know, you know something as, as pedestrian as a module update or something as awful as the site goes down, who, you know, who does the client call? Um, a lot of web developers do not want to be in, in that support role uh, you know, type of business. Um, so maybe the, the client will, uh, you know, call their web host, maybe they'll call you. Uh, maybe you have time to help them. Maybe you don't. Um, as Drupal developers, you know, I guess the question is, are, do we want to be developers or, or do we want to be in the business of supporting as well? If we only want to be developers, then that's kind of where Linovate comes in. Linovate offers 24-7 around-the-clock monitoring and support for open source technologies with Drupal and Node.js uh, Node as their main expertise. Linovate uh, has been a Drupal community member for uh, over 10 years since the days of Drupal 4. Um, so you have a certain degree of confidence that they know what you're doing and that when they look at your site, they have a pretty good idea of what your site is doing as well. Um, all of their plans have live telephone support in addition to chat and, um, and uh, uh, online support as well. And it doesn't matter where you host, uh, Linovate will provide you with professional on-call and hands-on care which will make sure that your site is running and secured at all times. If you are a developer, they will offer you a referral fee if you refer a new client to them. And if you are a large enough uh, shop, then they do offer their service as a white label service as well. Um, plans start at just $590 a month, and you can check them out at linovate.net slash SLA. That's linovate.net slash SLA. So Preston, we are here today to talk to you about um, decoupling Drupal's front end. So I'm going to let Anna take it away for a few minutes there. Sure. So um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, this might be the first time you've heard of the issue. You might want to uh, pause right now, go check out our show notes. We have a huge list of blog posts and issues and other podcasts and all of this stuff we'll kind of be talking about right now. So if you want to take a minute or a few hours to read up on the background information and kind of get a sense of, hey, this is what's going on regarding uh, front-end frameworks in Drupal, I uh, definitely recommend you go do that. Or you can just listen in and we will try and summarize and discuss the three months uh, that this has been discussed, that this has been uh, being discussed in the community since Dries made an initial blog post on the subject, um, trying to synthesize hundreds of comments, blog posts, Twitter discussions, camp presentations, and boff sessions. Um, so if you choose not to, you have been fairly warned. Hi, Preston. <laughs> hey, Anna. <laughs> that was a good disclaimer. Thank you. 
Um, so can you give us a quick overview of what these discussions have been about? Like what's progressive decoupling and why does Drupal care? Sure. Well, let me go ahead and start off with just a very quick overview of, of the entire problem space, just very broadly. Um, so, you know, recently in the front-end development world, things have been moving very quickly, um, you know, almost at sort of a blistering pace, uh, which doesn't really match up to the way that Drupal progresses uh, historically. And um, one of the things that's been really happening in the last, I would say, couple of years is the growth of what I would call uh, MVSTAR frameworks that are typically written in JavaScript. And um, you know, these are frameworks which are used to enhance the client-side experience of uh, web applications or websites um, in the sense of being able to perform very quick interactions or uh, you know, things like um, immediate feedback, optimistic feedback, where you get a response of what um, approximates what the server would send back to you, um, or non-blocking workflow where you don't have to wait for that AJAX spinner to go away to continue performing the same operation. Um, these are all things that have been resolved to a great degree because of the extent of client-side state management and rendering, which happens in, in these JavaScript frameworks. And so some popular ones that you might have heard of are things like Angular, Ember, React. And this all ties into decoupled Drupal in the sense of, um, you know, you might have heard the term decoupled Drupal before. <clears throat> And um, <clears throat> some people call it headless Drupal, but what it really involves is Drupal serving as a content store or a content repository, a, a content editing tool, which allows you to put together content in a way that will be exported or exposed um, via REST API to a variety of different front-end applications. And you can, you can sort of see an infinite list of possibilities here. It could be things like auxiliary single-page applications, which are built in these JavaScript frameworks. It could be a native mobile application that you write in Objective-C or Java. It could be <clears throat> even an IoT application that's like a screen on your appliance. Um, and it really runs the gamut of, of sort of the possibilities in the front end. Um, one, you know, it's, it's no longer uh, uh, viable to talk about the front end as solely being something that's a website or, or rendered through HTML. Uh, it is definitely something that, um, uh, you know, you know, has a huge spectrum of possibility in terms of what you can do. And so <clears throat> there's a whole lot of debate going on right now in the Drupal community. There's um, been some blog posts. One compelling one is called Decapitating Drupal. And I like that title a lot because um, a lot of this uh, uh, decoupling or this making Drupal headless means that you're really only using Drupal to serve data. And Drupal's real strength is not only in data, not only in you know, content modeling and structured content and the things that we know on the back end that make Drupal so powerful. It's also the things that make Drupal so powerful on the front end. And so uh, part of the, 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 the challenge of decoupling Drupal is how do you maintain Drupal's integrity as this end-to-end -end CMS assembled web tool? Uh, namely, how do you get all the power of Drupal without necessarily jettisoning, let's say, the benefits of the front end or pursuing this fully decoupled direction too far? And so, for example, one very good example of this is, um, is layout, right? Uh, we have panels as a contributed module in Drupal, uh, which you can use to build a variety of different layouts that are eventually served to the front end that Drupal uh, provides a render for. Um, however, you know, these um, fully decoupled implementations where you're using a JavaScript framework um, solely uh, you know, in its own sort of encapsulated area, um, on a single front end to do all of that rendering means that, you're, that you've lost out on all of that power that Drupal provides in terms of layout, in terms of form validation, a whole host of things that, that Drupal really provides. Um, and so one of the big challenges has been how can you, uh, you know, maintain Drupal's integrity as 
not only a powerful tool for your data, for your PHP developers, for your, um, you know, for your, for your sort of data modeling and content structuring, but also for people who are content editors or site builders who may want to use these layout tools, but don't want to have to necessarily uh, contend with having to get in touch with their favorite front-end developer and say, hey, can you adjust this sidebar by, you know, two pixels? Um, so, so this, um, you know, this whole idea of fully decoupling Drupal, which is a term that Dries Beitart used in his, in his blog post, uh, the future of decoupled Drupal, um, is something that is very uh, problematic, especially when you're trying to build a standalone site. When you're building just a single Drupal website, you really shouldn't do this. Um, uh, you know, you shouldn't really decouple Drupal fully uh, and use JavaScript. And the thing is, there's another dimension here that I do want to highlight, which is very important, before I delve into progressive decoupling. And that is that um, a lot of the reason why people have been moving over to, let's say, more JavaScript frameworks is because of the growing power of JavaScript isomorphism, or the idea of shared rendering across the client and server. And so what happens in this approach is that you have some form of server-side execution of JavaScript. Um, usually that takes place through Node.js. And this Node.js uh, process will execute your framework for you isomorphically, literally um, both sides, both the client side and the server side, will see this framework execute and yield um, some sort of a render. And so on the server side, this means you get served your initial application state, namely all of the you know, issues with uh, time to first paint in terms of seeing a white screen before you actually get any rendering. That's all resolved because the Node.js server is going to give you that initial render. Um, now, uh, uh, and then on the, you know, sort of what happens afterwards is after the page load, um, the JavaScript framework that's loaded on the client side, um, you know, does a process where it takes over, so to speak, that, that initial state. Some frameworks have terms for this, such as rehydration, where basically any updates that need to take place on the client side, uh, uh, because the server side initial state was, let's say, not up to date, all happen through the client side. So, um, you know, the really interesting idea that Dries proposed in his blog post back in, I believe, September was this idea of progressive decoupling. And it, and it ties very closely with the idea of progressive enhancement in the sense that um, we want to continue Drupal's commitment to not being able, you know, where if you have JavaScript disabled, you are fully able to continue using Drupal as you would, um, uh, you know, any, any, any website or any series of pages on a, on a website. Um, however, at the same time, there are certain... UX benefits that come about, certain user experience benefits that have come about from these JavaScript frameworks. And, it, you know, it definitely is, is, a, um, uh, is sort of a palpable thing that Drupal administration, for instance, is an application fundamentally. Um, you, you know, you have a lot of form fields, you have a lot of interaction with a lot of different interfaces, and fundamentally, um, some of these interactions, uh, you know, could, could be better. Um, you know, for example, deleting a node and requiring a full page refresh when you delete a node um, uh, is, is sort of, uh, you know, I would, I would imagine maybe not so much uh, uh, what people would consider modern UX in terms of, you know, being able to just have a modal pop-up, have it seamlessly, uh, uh, you know, not require a page refresh. And so progressive decoupling um, is a concept which says, Rather than relying on, let's say, Node.js or server-side JavaScript to get you that initial state of your application, just leverage Drupal as that initial state for your application. Drupal has already solved the problem of server-side rendering and solved the problem of, of page performance for you. And what you can do from that point is you can layer on uh, a JavaScript framework on top or you know, custom JavaScript, which will then enhance your user experience in a way that, that powers these interactions that people have come to expect and people like in these applications without necessarily getting rid of things like layout building or accessibility, for instance, or form validation, um, or really you know, all of the things that really make Drupal so powerful on the front end.
So recently, um, what has happened as a result of this is that um, you know people have been talking in the community about how we can sort of uh, uh, you know improve the user experience of Drupal. Um, and uh, you know, let's say that um, you know my my personal opinion on this and, and an opinion that 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 Dries had shared was that um, some way, some unified manner of managing client side state and rendering. Um, is important to have on the front end and is important to have within Drupal core. And the reason for this is that if someone wants to, let's say, reuse a Twig template when they're re-rendering a form uh, on a module um, and they don't want to have to resort to a full page refresh to take you to that new route, um, you should be able to have some kind of a system in place which allows you to basically take out that form component and replace it with a new one all within the confines of a client-side framework, a JavaScript framework which handles this kind of thing very, very well. Um, and so as a result of that, um, uh, internally here at Acquia, we went through a, a selection process where we uh, vetted some frameworks and, and thought about how well they might resolve some of the frictions between um, you know, this, this sort of fully decoupled approach and uh, Drupal itself, and you know, through progressive decoupling, through this lens. And so uh, Dries, I believe in, uh, I believe it was December, uh, wrote a blog post stating that, well, perhaps it's time to actually choose one of these frameworks. And I put up an issue uh, uh, to that effect, and um, you know, obviously the the reaction from the community was was one that we expected, which was uh, you know one of sort of sort of surprise, you know, really ran the gamut of, of people who were supportive, people who were who were uh, who were in opposition, people who were neutral, and of course people who who sort of uh, um, you know were 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 very very critical of this of this whole step, um, and so uh, you know I I, I think that there's. Um, there's sort of two important questions that we have to answer, uh, uh, you know, when it when it when it comes to this, and that is, um, how do we, you know, allow Drupal's user experience to progress? And I think that there's been a lot of consensus in the community around this idea of making sure that we have robust uh, UX in place in order to, um, you know, sort of a robust design process and robust designs in place um, that will dictate how we actually, uh, you know, build out the future of Drupal's front end. Um, but at the same time, um, and this is a disagreement that really played out on Twitter, um, at the same time, you know, you, you have to keep in mind that um, developers are users too. Um, developers need to use our platform and our APIs just as, um, just as our, end, our end users would. And so the question becomes, you know, uh, uh, we want all these UX benefits and we want to have this very seamless, graceful UX. How do we do that? If we can't attract the developers who are really specializing in these types of UIs and 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 really moving forward in terms of what these UIs can do, um, how can we sort of uh, uh, you know meet them halfway in a sense of of making their user experience, their developer experience, just as just as uh, good as our own on the back end in terms of you know incorporating Symphony and 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 really improving the way that we interact with Drupal as developers. Um, and I think these are these are two very sort of uh, intractable problems which are obviously not going to see uh, resolution very quickly, but um, you know, are, are very important from the context of, of keeping Drupal relevant um, for, for all of our use cases. Sounds like it would be a lot of work. It's a lot of work, that's true. But I think it's just as much work as some of the other solutions that have been proposed. I mean, there are people who are saying we should be doing more real-time functionality, um, which is very interesting, obviously. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously one of, the, one of the primary requirements of that is to have asynchronous PHP. But that really complicates your infrastructure requirements. I mean, at that point, you can really no longer use just Apache 
Um, you have to really rely on, on uh, 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 you know, something like Ratchet, a service such as Ratchet, uh, which lies outside of your, of your sort of traditional LAMP stack and means that it's, it's harder to, to install Drupal and it's harder to host it. Um, and you know, there are people arguing for WebSockets as, as sort of the approach that needs to happen. And um, you know, I think that you know, certainly there is a lot of traction going on in, in terms of incorporating WebSockets into Drupal, um, but I see it as being just as much work and just as much sort of uh, uh, you know, just as much of a challenge to to get people to adopt. Um, just from the standpoint of of um, you know, we're we're making Drupal harder to install. And then we're also, you know, having to rely, you know, sort of even more deeply on PHP technologies that, um, to a great extent, many front-end developers have sort of, sort of uh, uh, abandoned. I guess, from my perspective, it also seems like it would be a lot of work for uh, the Drupal contributors, for people who are, are working on core. Yes, absolutely, and I think that, um, you know, that's something that that will that will need to manage, obviously, and um, you know, figure out. Uh, uh, the right approach, um, and and you know just to be one hundred percent clear here, I mean Dries uh, released an update blog post about I would say about a month ago, um, which really sort of uh, uh, recalibrated the position to be that yes, we do need these um, UX improvements, and we need to talk about UX as that starting point. But at the same time, we do need to make sure that we are talking about these disruptive approaches to development as well, which you know, might not be popular in the short term, but are going to advance Drupal in a way that keeps adoption up in terms of uh, what developers join uh, the community and um, uh, uh, um, what users um, end up using Drupal because of its user experience. Um, and so certainly, like, uh, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussions that I've been having recently. Um, I've been keeping up very, you know, I've been keeping very close, closely up to date with this whole debate. Um, I've actually been hosting a, a birds of a feather roadshow, a boff roadshow, uh, all around various camps, and I, I, I wanted to take it to Florida Drupal Camp, but I wasn't able to do that. Um, you know, and I'll be taking it to Midcamp, for example, in a couple weeks. Um, oh, awesome! But, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, where I've been meeting front end developers from all walks of life, um, I've been meeting site builders, content editors. I've been meeting, you know, our partners here at Acquia, our customers, um, all over the world to really hone in on sort of what people are doing, what people are building, and um, uh, uh, you know how how Drupal can best meet their needs. Um, and one thing that I have that's been a unifying theme all across is that um, you know people are are finding that their their that their developer teams are increasingly interested in utilizing JavaScript, utilizing these you know vast tool chains you know uh, uh, and I won't have an opinion on necessarily the 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 uh, the challenge of those tool of, of, the, of those tool chains, um, but you know it is something that people are paying a lot more attention to and. Um, um, you know, I don't see this as being tech lust or, or, or hype, so to speak, because frankly, Drupal has no way currently of managing client-side state. It has no way of managing client-side re-rendering or client-side templating. Um, you know, there's, there's no way for you to reuse a Twig template, for example, when you want to re-render something on the client side. There's no way to tell how many times, let's say, uh, a single component on your, on your Drupal page has been re-rendered by your framework or by your JavaScript. Um, and having these sorts of, of, of things in place, having these sorts of features in place, um, will allow us to really move forward in terms of how quickly we can redevelop these UIs and how quickly we can bring our user experience uh, um, you know, to to a point where it's much more uh, application like. So let me let me jump in with a quick question here, because um, you've explained kind of the history, and by history is maybe a, a, a too strong of word because it's only been over the past, you know, as you said, four or five months here. Um, but it seemed like there was 
when Dries has, had his initial post, there was this huge uproar of like, whoa, what is all this? What are we doing? Are we getting rid of all of the front end hard work that people have put, you know, literally years of their time into developing and throwing it out and, and starting with something new? And why are we doing this? And so there's a lot of great discussion around that part of it. And you mentioned that. Um, and we have a bunch of links to those, to, to those, um, some of those blog posts in the show notes. Um, and then you also mentioned that Dries, you know, addressed part of that in his latest blog post about, um, and for me, kind of the one thing that really stood out for me was the fact that it seems like we're, we have a solution looking for a problem, right? Where we, we know we want to do this, but we haven't identified exactly what parts of the Drupal front end we would, we, we would, you know, quote unquote fix with this. Um, so I'm just curious as far as, you know, you're, you're kind of in the, in the trenches with, with this issue a lot more than most people. Um, has there been any, um, any more or any momentum on that front as far as identifying, you know, what we need, you know, what we want to do to, to improve Drupal's UX? Because it seems like I forget which of these, um, blog posts I read. It seems like a lot of, if we were doing this for a client, we would say, okay, well, let's do some UX testing. Let's see where the sticky points are. Let's see how we can make the experience better for users. Um, and then based on the results of that, we would do mockups and we would do wireframes and we would do some prototyping before we figure out this is what we need to do to fix it. So here's how we're going to implement the solution. And sure. I think, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, so, I think I've said enough. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so here, so here's the here's the challenge with that with that with that approach, and I think Dries highlighted this very well in his turning Drupal outside in blog post, which is that usability studies are very helpful, and obviously the UMN um, usability studies are something that that um, uh, should have been highlighted much more. Um, but at the same time, they're highlighting things that people already know about and that people have already had to deal with. I mean, um, a lot of those UX problems that were highlighted in that study are stuff that we've known about for years and, and, and just haven't been resolved. Um, and, uh, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that we need more disruptive changes to our user experience um, in the sense that if we don't have designs that are predicated solely on how can we make the um, uh, UX truly revolutionary? How can we make it truly an experience for users and not this sort of incremental iterative approach where we're solely fixing our old problems? Um, I think that really opens the door to a lot more possibilities. For example, uh, I'll give you one good example here, which is that there's a lot of discussion about how we can improve components of the views UI within within Drupal. You know, just the uh, you know just the terminology within the views UI, just this and that. But there hasn't been any discussion of sort of the the, the larger impact of how views UI affects users in general, which is that a user you know a user sorry a user. <laughs> A user uh, doesn't really expect that they're going to have to go out of the views UI entirely to manage their view modes, right? It's something where, really, honestly, a user wants to be able to manage all of that from a single place. Um, let, you know, let's just say, so to speak. Um, but there's, you know, but there's not really, uh, um, uh, you know, a means currently within the Drupal community where you can really sort of make those grand statements and say, what we really need to do is to combine these UIs or decouple these U sorry, I should not use decouple, and <laughs> that's a very tricky word, um, to, to you know, pull apart these, these UIs. 
um, doesn't necessarily make sense from the stamp, you know, from from the standpoint of just these iterative incremental improvements, especially if we stick to, let's say, uh, issue queues just on a single module. Um, and so, what what really needs to happen, I think, is that we need to produce these ambitious designs, and I think uh, we're we're starting to see some traction there. Um, I know that Kevin O'Leary has been working on some some really incredible designs as well, um, which you know, and and the thing is that if we do see these designs, we have to look at these designs not from the standpoint of where our current technology stack lies. We can't say that, oh, just because we're in PHP, we can't build this, we can't build this. We have to really take our developer hats off and say, what is this UX going to be like for somebody who is coming at this for the first time? And how can we build the right solution for that? And if we're going to do that, then we have to then we have to look at all of the most modern solutions out there, and some of the and 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 one of those solutions that has been built to build the most compelling UIs. And I think most people agree with this. Most of the most compelling UIs, the vast majority of the most compelling UIs that you see currently in the application world, are being built through these JavaScript frameworks. Um, and you're gonna have and, and and once again, you're gonna have to have developers who have the ability and the means and the desire to contribute for those UX initiatives. If you don't have developers who are interested in building these UIs, you're not going to have those UIs ever built. Right, but I, I think we have, in the past, we, we have an example we can look back to that it may not be as, as, as destructive as what we're talking about now, but I look back to like the Spark initiative. You know, that started out in Contrib for Drupal 7 as kind of a way of prototyping how can we make the, the content administrator interface um, better? How can we allow content administrators to edit their content in a radically different way than ever, ever has been done in Drupal? And granted, it used, you know, it's, it, it's nowhere near as disruptive as what we're talking about now. Um, it's not using a different technology stack. Um, but for me, and my gut reaction to all this was, why isn't this something that's just kind of being done in Contrib first? And I know, mm -hmm. you know, some of the changes we're talking about aren't possible just in Contrib. So, uh, you know, I, I, I grant you that. But it feels like coming from the position of, you know, there's a problem here. So here's, you know, we want to rip out all this code or, 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 or do this radical thing before anyone's prototyped it. That felt to me like that was very abrupt in the Drupal community. Right. Well, so you know, I think that what's 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 important to keep in mind here. Um, and sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna just think about this for a second and start over. Um, I stumped you. You know, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, you know, I've got. I just, I just, I just don't have a a sort of like you know explicitly prepared answer, but but I but I've got it. So um, you know, there's 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 two dimensions to this, and uh, the first is that um, I I personally no longer believe that. Um, the correct approach, and I want to be very clear about this because I think there's still a lot of misconceptions about uh, uh, the issue that I've postponed, but it's not clear yet. I no longer believe that our next course of action should be to select a client-side framework. I think that's very clear from what from what Dries has said, from what I have said, uh, from what other people um, uh, in the community have said, um, and and um, part of this has come about from the Boff Roadshow that I've been doing. And you know, I will be very clear. I, I no longer believe in any sort of uh, uh, immediate adoption of a client-side framework, right? Um, and what I what I believe instead is that we need to have some kind of an API, um, which can uh, uh, you know, which uh, a JavaScript API, let's say, tied with a theme component system, for example. And I was speaking with Laudi Escola about this um, a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, you know, one of the things that that Drupal needs is a way for any framework 
to be able to hook into Drupal data that is exported through, um, you know, through the JSON that is attached to Drupal's page load, um, and and uh, uses that intelligently to do any sort of further work that it needs to do. That is what I believe now, and I want to be very clear about that. However, as you know, as we know, when it, when it when it comes to these new technologies and these new approaches, opinions very often change, and it's you know it's 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 not something that we can just tie someone down and say you know oh you're a flip flopper and uh, uh, um, uh, you know we we're we're all learning collectively through this process. You know we are we are all sort of in this together and. Um, uh, but the thing is, I will give you sort of some insight into the decision-making processes about why, uh, uh, you know, why a client-side framework in core is a good idea. Because, um, you know, as you as you might know, there are several contributed modules that are currently working on their own sort of new uh, implementations, which use a JavaScript framework. Uh, one very good example that comes to mind is Panels IPE, which is using which is using Backbone. Um, and very soon, in the very near future, we're going to see a lot more of these approaches that are explicitly leveraging a single framework. Um, uh, for example, I can imagine a commerce module needing React, or let's say you want um, uh, uh, you know some other module uh, like a like um, um, you know some other module like Webform, for example, to use uh, Angular. Just to speak off the cuff here. Um, but what that does is, if you're using uh, multiple modules on a single page, and you're and you're and you're using sort of front end components of these modules in multiple places, you've got the very very likely and and the very challenging issue of potentially loading multiple frameworks onto a single page, which is which is disastrous for performance. And so the you know the whole idea of standardizing it on standardizing on it within core is um, to basically. You know, clear that friction out and say that uh, you know, for for any sort of um, uh, you know multiple modules on a single page, you really want to only load one single framework, and that also you know is is very important to think of from the context of um, the overarching JavaScript ecosystem, which is obviously in a huge amount of flux, and I know that um, that's been a point that's been raised very often. Um, you know, what's what's very clear is that. Um, uh, we can't let this battle happen within Contrib um, because Contrib, it, it's going to take us years and years to get to the point where uh, we have a single canonical framework or a single consensus-based framework um, that people enjoy using in Contrib. Uh, that could very well happen you know, se- you know, several years even after, let's say, the rest of the JavaScript world has consolidated around a single framework. And I think we really got lucky when it came to um, choosing jQuery, let's say, um, but um, uh, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of other uh, uh, considerations here, which are very important to keep in mind. Um, and you know, it you know, it is it does also speak to the fact that you know, if you are a module developer looking to write a new module, um, and uh, uh, you know, you explicitly do want to take a progressively decoupled approach where you're going to be uh, leveraging a framework, um, uh, you want to have some guidance at least as to um, uh, you know how you should approach that. Maybe I'm wrong, but don't we kind of have guidance by putting Backbone in core? We do, we do. But the thing is that Backbone nowadays is considered very obsolete in the JavaScript community, and there's several reasons for that. The first is that um, you know Backbone's not really a, a sort of a full heavy-duty framework. Um, it, it it sort of uh, uh, it doesn't really have uh, true data binding. It uses getters and setters, um, and also it directly manipulates the DOM. Uh, which means that uh, uh, any sort of large um, DOM changes that need to happen really slow down page performance. And this is another weakness that Angular 1 suffers from as well. Hmm. Well, one of the things that I personally love about the Drupal community is how passionate uh, people are. And everyone's 
thinking about what's best for the project, thinking about what's best for the community, um, doing research, uh, providing ideas, providing feedback. Um, so just overall, how many people do you think uh, within the community have been participating in this discussion around uh, JavaScript libraries, frameworks, and uh, decoupling Drupal? Well, I think it's uh, triggered a lot of interest in a lot of people, um, and I think it's it's because you know I think I think that there's discussion going on in all levels of the Drupal community, not just front end developers, not just themers, not just core you know core core devs, but also business you know business uh, business people, people who are making these technical decisions, um, uh, you know architects. Everyone's talking about decoupled Drupal. Um, in terms of JavaScript frameworks, you know, I think that there's now a lot of people talking about it because of because of the um, uh, implications of of Dries's blog posts, um, and I've been noticing quite healthy attendance at all of my boffs and all of my talks about decoupled Drupal. There's obviously a lot of interest in in these in these issues, and I think the reason for that is because we're really asking um, one really overarching question, which is which which really affects literally everybody uh, um, up and down the chain, which is. You know, is is Drupal meant to be a development framework as it has historically been when it comes to PHP and front end development, um, or is it really meant more as an assembled web tool for building front ends, or is it both? Um, you know, historically we've we've seen Drupal treated as a development framework, which is um, something you you write more PHP on top of, and it, and it gives you a whole lot of uh, flexibility and power in that regard. Um, but a lot of people, uh, especially front end developers, have have sort of moved on from Drupal and and said, well, Drupal's not the most Current or most compelling way to build my front end now, um, and then the other you know dimension of it is that we've got all of our uh, users of Drupal who who are leveraging it for um, assembled web capabilities like layout management, display management. Um, you know how how can we how can we um, uh, uh, decouple Drupal in a way that you know allows us to have very rich interactivity, very rich user experiences without getting rid of the things that we have, that we know and love about Drupal. Um, and, and I think layout's a very good example of that. Um, but then at the same time, you know, we've got these really changing expectations on user experience and developer experience. Um, you know, I think that certainly not this year, but in coming years, I don't think it will, you know, and, and, and this is a wild prediction, please don't quote me on this uh, or, or come find me later. Um, but, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that um, by the end of 2017, it will no longer be good user experience to have a full page refresh every time you hit a link or every time you click a button. Um, I think that things like optimistic feedback and non-blocking workflows, uh, interface previews, these things are going to be huge. And um, without any sort of, 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 of client-side, of unified client-side logic that manages all of that for us, um, <clears throat> it's, it's going to be really tricky for us to, to, to sort of stay abreast of of those trends and user experience. Similarly, so hang on one second. I'm writing down. You said by the end of 2017, right? I'm writing. This right now. <laughs> we'll have a bet. How's that? <laughs> Finish your. And then also, we'll, we'll take a pool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Get some so, going. So to get back to the whole issue of of, of people and, and and sort of what what consensuses have been being built, what I will say is that people have a very wide array of opinions on this. Granted, because it's a very new sort of uh, uh, architectural approach that has gotten a lot of people up in arms about the future of Drupal and about Drupal's uh, uh, sort of viability. Um, I, 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 am, I am so confident in the future of Drupal. Um, if we can get the question of client-side uh, uh, state and rendering right, I am so confident in Drupal's future. And the reason why is because we have so many people who are involved in Drupal who are who are passionate about these issues. I mean, um, you know, generally speaking, I would say that 
we have very broad agreement that uh, we need improvements to our RESTful API, uh, to our uh, to our RESTful Web Services and Core, and also to UX in general. Those are those are two things which have really gotten a lot of airplay uh, recently. And I know that um, here in Acquia, uh, Wim Lears has been working quite a bit on these uh, REST experience um, issues, uh, uh, you know, which have been sort of uh, uh, you know, making people uh, sad when it comes to using our our, our core REST services, um, and then you know there is definitely agreement among the majority of people that what we really do need is if we you know, given that we will need, and I and I and I and I fully anticipate that we are going to see UX designs in the very near future, which are going to require some of the things that I'm talking about in terms of UX. Um, we're going to need some kind of a framework agnostic approach where uh, any framework can hook into Drupal, and uh, you know, similar to what happened in uh, in, in in Drupal five, which was um, your ability to to take out PHP template, um, replace it with a different template engine like Smarty or X template. I know this is going way back for a lot of people, like ten years, but <laughs> um, uh, you know, we we don't need a single framework in core, and I think that's very important to keep in mind. We can certainly standardize on one, and I think that was one of the big points that people missed from one of Dries's blog posts, which is honestly how we adopt a framework or how we standardize or what we do, that's something that is so open. It's such an open question that um, uh, you know, we, we, we have to spend a lot of time answering that. And I think that there's a lot of support for uh, uh, some kind of a system on the front end which handles all of these things, state management, rendering, um, there's, you know, obviously the very key questions of what do you do um, if, you know, even if you export a Twig template, even if you export information about Drupal's server-side rendering out to the client side, how do you handle things like field formatters? How do you handle things like pre-process functions um, in, uh, in our themes, um, which, which affect Twig templates in a way that's completely invisible to the client side? Um, so... Uh, you know, these are all questions that I that I've that I've started to be you know have begun answering, um, and uh, look forward to continuing um, as well uh, in the future. It seems like there's two you know I'm going to describe them as Herculean tasks ahead of us. Um, the first being you know kind of what you just alluded to was um, making Drupal core making it possible for Drupal core to work with a number of different front-end frameworks. It seems like in the progressive can... decoupling. Yeah, in the in the, yes. in the in the progressive right. decoupling standpoint. Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's like one task. Uh, so that allows us to, um, not just us, but that allows anyone to say, "I want to use Angular. I want to use React. Or I want to use something else." And it will, and they could do it without hacking core. So that seems to me like that might be like the first big hurdle we have to get over. And then the second one is. Once we decide what we want to standardize on, then there's the work of actually um, implementing what we want to standardize on. So one thing that I have no idea about, and maybe you can you can shed some light on this, is what's the scope of these tasks? Is this something along the lines of like the CMI initiative for D8? Is this smaller or bigger? Or maybe you don't have a good feel for it other, but either. But I have a feeling that a lot of people don't have a good feeling for just how big of a change this this is going to be. And I, you know, I, I totally agree. It's going to be a colossal change. Um, and and you know, frankly, you know, I think that um, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, you know trouble. Uh, so, you know, the way I see it, I see this as being on a scale to um, on on the on you know on the scale of or perhaps uh, um, you know maybe a little bit less than let's say um, the adoption of Symphony and Drupal eight. 
Um, just as we had a huge sort of revolutionary change, a sea change in our back end and the way that we build modules and the way that we uh, write PHP and Drupal, uh, we need to have a similar revolution on the front end when it comes to our JavaScript APIs in terms of how we interact with Drupal on the client side because um, fundamentally that's where so much of the front end development world's uh, um, evolution is happening right now is on the front end of um, you know, how do we build these really powerful UIs with these really rich interactions? How do we keep data persistent? Um, you know, in a way that makes sense for client-side caching and, uh, you know, a variety of other considerations that we have to keep in mind. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's, you know, but the thing is, software never stops moving, right? Software never stops, uh, well, you know, it can't stop changing because um, otherwise, otherwise we will, we, will, we will very quickly be irrelevant. And um, I think that, you know, for, for people who are, you know, thinking about how daunting this is, this is going to be, well, you know, you know, I would say that Symphony was daunting as well, and uh, so was you know getting views into core, or 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 or, or you know you know getting 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 Twig done. Um, all of these things were huge, colossal, monumental tasks in Drupal eight um, that uh, uh, you know that 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 you know we have to continue to undertake. I mean, you know, I think that uh, I you know I think that um, all of us agree that Drupal is a is a train that really cannot stop moving because of how. Uh, you know how how relevant it, you know it is right now, and how relevant it needs to stay for the future. So, given everything that we've talked about, what are you know is there is there any agreement on on what needs to happen to move forward, and what are the next steps for the community? Sure. Well, I think that it's very clear that um, you know uh, what's happened with my issue and what's happened with these blog posts that Dries has written is that um, we've really kickstarted a very healthy and a very necessary discussion in Drupal. Which is that you know, frankly, uh, um, you know, we we need to make sure that our Drupal front end stays just as up to date and just as powerful as um, our competitors, um, and uh, that we sort of maintain this assembled web ethos, right? So I think the you know the ways that people can really help out immediately or 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 can sort of focus their attention um, is on these REST experience issues that um, uh, we've been dealing with. Um, in, in core, um, there's also contributed modules like services, uh, relaxed web services that could definitely use some help in terms of figuring out these issues of how uh, Drupal should serve data. Um, and I think there's a lot of traction also, uh, thanks to uh, all, all of the sort of um, um, uh, you know sort of noise that we've been making about UX and, and the front end. Um, there's definitely much more uh, uh, traction in terms of the UX front. I know that uh, Royce Holta, who is um, Yo Roy on Drupal.org. Uh, has been uh, being very, uh, um, uh, very sort of prominent in this in this realm of getting people to talk about UX and 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 really ambitiously think about UX. So you know, very thankful to him for that. And one thing that I want to keep on doing as um, you know as this roadshow continues, so to speak, and uh, as I take it to Midcamp and Drupal Delphia and then um, end with uh, DrupalCon New Orleans and Front End United, is um, how can we bridge the gap? You know, how how can we Bridge the gap between Drupal as a development framework and Drupal as a uh, assembled web tool. How can we um, bring the benefits of client-side state and rendering all these things that that we know that these JavaScript frameworks do really well? We don't want all the aspects of the JavaScript framework. We don't. We don't. We don't want all of you know. We don't want to have to move to Node.js necessarily. We don't want to have to do all of this stuff. Um, but we do want some of these benefits that um, are most compelling. Um, so how do we bring those benefits of client-side state and rendering? into Drupal in a way that makes sense 
and doesn't require us to have to you know break our backs reinventing wheels or um, you know re, re, uh, rebuilding functionality potentially. And I think that's really where the crux of, of Dries's idea of progressive decoupling lies. Is it's that you know it's a spectrum. It's not something where we're dictating here's the threshold, here's the neck where you decapitate Drupal. Uh, we're saying you know what we really want is this ideal state where Drupal is able to do all the things, so to speak, that a framework allows you to do while still maintaining a, a lot of that integrity that, that makes Drupal so powerful. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to continue that conversation. I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, uh, that, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of good ideas and a lot of uh, very, very good knowledge about this. And um, I'm very excited to hopefully share it um, to everybody, uh, with everybody in New Orleans. Awesome. Well, thank you for being passionate and uh, willing to stand up and brave the pitchforks, though hopefully those should be mostly put away at this point. <laughs> yeah, hopefully so. <laughs> that's a pity laugh. I like the pity laugh. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, if I wasn't if I wasn't notorious in the Dribble community before, I am now. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Mike, did you want to pick up on the... Uh... Drupal easy news. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's keep this train moving, just like uh, Drupal. Um, so the next session of our twelve week Drupal Career Online Live Instructor Course starts in about two weeks. I think it might be two weeks from yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, it's a live online uh, Drupal class. We meet three half days a week with uh, mainly yours truly as the lead instructor. This will be our eighth time presenting uh, Drupal Career Online. So if you are looking to go pro with your Drupal skills, um, if you're looking to learn about um, Git and Drush and Drupal Console and moving stuff between local dev stage and live environments, then this is the class for you. In addition, we cover topics like intro to module development, intro to theme development, um, site maintenance, and everything with a, a healthy dose of best practices and um, working within the confines of the community as well. So for more information, you can go to drupaleasy.com slash DCO, which obviously stands for Drupal Career Online. All right, so three stories. And I, Preston, I just learned earlier when you were talking that you attended DrupalCon uh, Asia. That's actually our first story. It was a, a blog post from Holly Ross, the executive director of the Drupal Association, um, titled DrupalCon Asia Back from the Future. And there was um, some there were some statistics in this blog post, which I found really, really interesting. Um and I'm going to ask the question in a way that you're going to know the answer. And other than the United States, what's the second largest region in the world for Drupal.org traffic? And obviously the answer is going to be India, where DrupalCon Asia was held. Um, I was really surprised by that. It, uh, apparently in 2014, um, India represented just under 10% of, uh, of traffic to Drupal.org. And in 2015, that went up to uh, about 10.5%. So it is definitely growing. Um, uh, about 15% of issue credits uh, came out of Asia, which was really interesting. Um, 
and uh, there are almost 50 organizations in Asia listed in the Drupal marketplace, and nine of those being uh, Drupal Association supporting partners. So I think for most of us who've been in the community for a while, um, I, I'll speak from my perspective that in the past, I felt like it was a lot of North America and Europe that was uh, contributing to Drupal. And it's clear that in the past few years, um, that is now an incorrect statement, that there's um, just as much um, community support and contributions coming from uh, Asia as well as uh, North America and Europe. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, Preston, since you were there, and I know you have to um, get going here in a few minutes, um, what was kind of the the vibe there? Was it um, were there a lot of uh, international um, attendees, or was it mainly a, a local attendance there? Well, I think if I look at the, um, I think I, I took a look at the stats, and it was something like eighty percent of attendees were from were from India. Wow! And um, one thing that that really struck me, and and I'm I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and I mean I I tweeted this. It was it was really my favorite DrupalCon yet. Um, and the reason why was because of just the energy in the room. It was really palpable. It was something that you could really feel. Um, and just just the just the brain power uh, uh, was staggering. I mean, it's you know you're you're really looking at uh, people who who are so passionate about Drupal in a way that that uh, um, you know that that is very very heartening to see and uh, you know just just makes me thrilled. I uh, got a chance to speak with with some people who are doing some incredible work there, and uh, quite frankly, I can't wait to go back and speak some more Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so since you have to go here in a few minutes, let me. Uh, we're going to take a pause on the three stories, and we're going to jump to five questions, which is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. Um, we're going to ask you five questions, Preston, uh, which may or may not have to do with Drupal. Okay. And you just have to answer them very, very quickly. Okay. Sound good? And I think, I'm, right. I think I know the answer for the first one already, but name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Huh. Well, uh... I like to draw uh, fictional maps of places that do not exist. <laughs> Ooh. Oh my goodness! All right, I better move on to the next question because I could I could <laughs> drop into that rabbit hole deep. So, all right, I'm gonna have to ask you about that next time I see you. That sounds <laughs> sure. that sounds fun. I used to do that as a kid, as a matter of fact. But more of, well, anyway, okay. Name the last piece of software you installed. It can be on a phone right. or on on a laptop or a gaming system, whatever. Well, the last piece of software I installed was actually the la the latest version of Skype <laughs> because <laughs> my Skype Yeah, that was an update. <laughs> my Skype was All right, all right. Well, I'll answer the question for real. Um, you know, the the last software I installed was actually a tool called OmniGraffle, uh, interestingly enough, which is a a tool to make flowcharts, architectural diagrams, um, so on and so forth. Um, um, a really interesting tool which um, unfortunately is is uh, not free or open source. I love it, and I use it almost every day. I love it, yeah. Um, what is a goal that you have not accomplished yet, but is a bit scary? A goal that I have not accomplished yet, but is a bit scary, huh? Maybe something well, you'd like um, to do, but you're just a little bit hesitant to, you know, to dive in. Huh, interesting. Um, well, I think the, you know, the, the biggest thing I would say is... Um, uh, Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> that's fit for the air. That's fit for the air, right? 
Um, well, you know, I would say uh, definitely giving a tech talk in a different language would be something that is oh. a very worthy goal. Um, I, I've I've long wanted to um, deliver some kind of a presentation in in a in a language that's not English, um, and given that the language of computer science is English, and um, you know I, I I am that you know that's a that's a goal that's scary but maybe achievable. We'll see. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a, that's very good. All right, my personal favorite question: What's the last exotic animal that you hand fed? Oh boy, that's got to be a koala. Uh, I was right. in Australia about. Uh, about four years ago, um, and uh, managed to to go to a sanctuary, and um, they're they're very nice creatures. <laughs> you feed uh, eucalyptus leaves, I assume. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's all they're allowed to eat. Doesn't that make them like drunk all the time or something? It keeps them get, tame, so they don't attack. Is what I've heard. They get really snoozy. Yeah, they <laughs> they definitely get very lethargic. <laughs> Otherwise, they're you know they're carnivores, very aggressive. Aggressive cool. Well, I was just saying, he was saying how nice they are. Of course they're nice. They're yeah. at a sanctuary getting eucalyptus. It's like when you give your cat like too much catnip. You know, they're just cool. They're just hanging. All right. So finally, um, what was your tipping point Drupal moment? So My what was tipping the moment? point Drupal moment. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? The the like like the moment that I that I realized that I needed to contribute back or the moment uh, that you realized that you and Drupal were BFFs. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh man. Well, um, I would say this goes all the way back to my Drupal five days um, when I was using uh, Drupal. You know, when I was uh, when I installed Drupal for the very first time. Um, this was back in two thousand seven, and I was just taken aback by Garland um, as a theme. I was I was like, <laughs> wow. You know, it integrates with the with the color module. You have all of these really nifty features you can do uh with Garland it's a really beautiful theme as well like at that time there were there were not really um oh wait this is hang on. was Garland even around in Drupal 5 I can't even remember was I it I think so Drupal? yeah I think it was I think 5 it was. and 6 yeah 5 and 6 yeah so um definitely Garland I mean um uh that was made by that was written by Stephen Wittens I believe um and uh you know that was a really compelling theme and as soon as I sort of dug into the code and, and started realizing what the theme or experience was in Drupal, I, I, I just dug right in and I haven't looked back since. And since then, I've, I've really branched out a lot. I do a lot more full-stack development now with Drupal. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a full-on Drupal fanboy now. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fantastic answer, Garland. <laughs> All right, so before we let you go, I know you mentioned you're going to be at MidCamp and Drupal Delphia and New Orleans, anywhere else? Uh, for right now, I think that's it. But next okay. week, actually, uh, so actually, I'll I'll just do quick, two quick things. Um, this yeah. Thursday, I'm delivering a webinar with the creator of the GraphQL module in Drupal 8, oh. uh, Sebastian Simpson or or uh, Fubi on Drupal, and we'll, we'll be talking about GraphQL, uh, what it is, what it means for REST, and what it means for your decoupled Drupal implementation. And then um, next week at the, I, I believe, uh, yeah, next Wednesday, I'll be in Atlanta for Great Wide Open talking about uh, decoupled Drupal with React. So should be a, a very fun set of, um, set of uh, uh, engagements there. Uh, yeah, and so I, I can recommend if you're going to be at a camp where Preston is speaking or, or having one of these boffs, definitely check it out because it's every time it's a great discussion. And there's always someone, you know, coming at it from a different angle. So it's, it's, it's a healthy thing for our community, for as many people as possible to be involved. Absolutely. So Preston, thank you very much for your time and your, uh, your passion in this, um, in this particular uh, area.
Thank you both so much for having me, and I really appreciate uh, the time I got uh, to uh, spend here with you guys, um, you know, both both Mike and Anna. I um, uh, really look forward to uh, keeping this conversation going, and um, uh, you know, uh, keeping Drupal moving ahead. There you go. All right, cool. Yep. I'll see you next week. I'll actually Alrighty. introduce myself this time. Great, great. All right, <laughs> thank All right, you thanks, both. Chris. Appreciate yep. it. All righty, take care. So let's move on to the rest of our three stories. Um, and the, the last two are kind of quick because we had a feeling the, this conversation might go on a little bit long, which it, it's, it's borne out that way. Um, story number two, Drupal 8.0.4 was released. But wait, Drupal 8.0.5 was also released as well. Um, I think within two weeks of one another is that about right Anna I should have looked up the dates but. yeah I think I think they're still in the the two week window yeah it seemed like it was very fast on this Wednesdays time. um as well as you know the this as we learned last week or two weeks ago when we had David Snowpeck on Drupal 6 had its Bye-bye. end of life sad sad did you get your tattoo tear by your eye there for Drupal six? No, no, no not yet. I'm thinking about that. So. I, I wasn't. I wasn't there for the whole oh, flow. Okay. I started about six point nine. Okay, all right. So, so I'm, I might. I might wait until the end of seven. Okay. To to start commemorating the death of. <laughs> to start applying tattoos. Gotcha. Um, and also looking forward, Drupal uh, Drupal eight point one, beta one was released as well. So that appears to be on track for an April release as planned. So that's kind of exciting. So in the show notes, we'll have links to all of the release notes for those three. Um, And I was actually struggling for a third story, a third quick story. Um, And if you listen to the podcast, uh, you know that um, this third story that just came across uh, earlier today made me very, very happy. Um, it's a blog post on the DrupalCon New Orleans website about voting for your community keynote. Um, in Barcelona, the third uh, keynote day, Thursday, was actually given over to two Drupal community members to give uh, kind of halftime keynotes, so to speak. Not halftime as in like a football or soccer game, but... Um, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be kind of cool. I don't know how the ratings would hold up for a Super Bowl halftime show, but should we call them mini keynotes? Two keynotes in one slot. I'm not even sure the best way to say this at all, but yeah, I think I think community keynote is really the only language that we have for yes. Hey, here's your keynote session, but you have to share it. Right. Well, but this time in New Orleans, it looks like it looks like there's not going to be any sharing. It looks like that there's going to be just one. Um, oh, just the one that's voted on? Yes, that's what it appears to be. So um, there were a bunch of submissions, and the uh, DrupalCon uh, committee, uh, track chair committee, track committee, again, I don't know how to say things, um, for community keynotes has whittled it down to three. And we, the community, can vote on the, uh, the keynote of choice. Um, our keynote of choice. So I will, I'm not going to say which one I voted for, although for me, I felt it was a very easy decision. Um, I will give you the three options and then I would also encourage everybody to go and vote. So the first one... Voting ends this Sunday. So depending on when the podcast gets out. Yes, we will get it out by the end of the week. I've said it, so now it has to happen because that's, that's the way things in my life generally work. <laughs> Please. Um all right, so I'll just give you the titles. So title number one. And Anna, have you seen these titles yet? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I have. Did you vote yet? 
No, oh, I haven't. All right. I did vote for the open board of director chair on the DA. Oh, we should mention that. Yeah, I did that as well. All right, so hold on. Before we get to that, let's talk about this. So the three titles of the three potential community keynotes for DrupalCon New Orleans are, I feel like we should have some timpani here, um, lessons learned by building internet-era communities from open source projects to U.S. presidential campaigns. Number two, your brain health is more important than your standing desk. And number three, stay for the community. Um, so real quick, I can tell you that Hey Rocker or Greg Dunlop uh, is the author of the Stay for the Community. Your brain health is more important than your standing desk is uh, Schnitzel, the username Schnitzel, which is uh, Michael Schmid. He's from uh, Amazie Labs. And the third one, that one I don't know off the top of my head, so let me look real quick. The lessons learned by building internet era communities is by a username Zacher, and that's Zach Rosen um, from Pantheon. So um, three really interesting uh, sounding community keynotes, and it's up to the community to decide. All right. So then we also have voting for the Drupal Association's director at large position. We have 22, 23, 24, so, so like there. We have a lot of candidates. Huh? There's a lot of candidates. Yeah. Let's just say yeah. that. So about two dozen candidates. Voting is open for now through March 18th. Um, there's a lot of uh, things you can read up on. There are a couple of hangouts, kind of meet the candidate sessions. Um, so three different sessions that people uh, – talked about what they want to bring to the DA, uh, lots of writing of profiles. There's even some campaigning going on on Twitter. Um, but if you are a Drupal Association member, you should definitely get over there and vote. Uh, easiest way to get to the voting page would be to log into Drupal.org, go to any place that's not the homepage, and there is a nice bright green banner for you to click on. And when does voting end? Do we have that? Voting ends on March 18th. March 18th. So 10 days from the date that we're recording this podcast. Fantastic. Okay. Picks of the week. Um, we have really gone long here, but that's okay. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i try and make this one quick, although this has really been a, a giant pet peeve of mine for many years here. Well, why don't we push it till to next one then? Oh, you want to push it? All right. I'll push it. That'll give me more time to write. Let's, let, let, let's push the picks. All right, let's do it. Let's push all the picks. So we've talked about mid-camp in a week and a half. So next time we hear your lovely voice, Anna, it will be post-mid-camp. So you can give us a wrap-up. Um, Sounds good. Also coming up in the next few uh, months, let's say, Texas camp, uh, which is April 1st and 2nd. Apparently not a April Fool's joke. Uh, Drupal Delphia, which Preston mentioned, because uh, he will be uh, there with his Boff Roadshow, is on April 8th. And then the giant event looming on the horizon, DrupalCon New Orleans, on May 19th, 19th, May 9th through 13th, 2016. Okay, Anna, real quick, where can people find you online? I am Acolada, is my username in many, many, many places. Otherwise, AnnaColada.com. There you go. And I am Ultimike, U-L-T-I-M-I-K-E, pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can always follow Drupal Easy at Drupal Easy on Twitter. And Preston is Preston So, S O, um, on Twitter. Um, and he's pretty active there as well. So before we leave, let me just once again thank WebEnabled and DevPanel.com. I actually saw Salim 
the I don't know if it's if he's technically the owner, but he's kind of the lead guy over there. He came down for Florida Drupal Camp. Always a always a supporter of Florida Drupal Camp. Um, I think he uses it as an annual excuse to come to Disney World with his family. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, every year he brings his wife and daughter, and they're at Disney for a week either before or after the camp. But it's always great to see him. Um, just a great, great community um, guy and community company, um, webenabled.com and devpanel.com. Definitely check them out. You can follow Drupal Easy, um, our podcast on drupaleasy.com slash podcast or iTunes or blah, 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 blah. Pick a podcast catcher. If you would like to leave us a voicemail and agree with everything we said, uh, that would be most welcome. You can do that at three uh, plus one uh, here in the U.S., 321-396-2340. If you want to get a jump on what we're going to be talking about in the next episode, you can follow the Drupal Easy podcast tag in Delicious. And upcoming podcasts, uh, we have Jeff Geerling talking about Drupal VM on the next podcast. It's had a, a nice update recently. Um, it's a really cool tool, um, especially if you're on Windows. It's really the only way to develop Drupal sites on Windows. And I'm talking softly, so I don't offend anybody. Um, you're talking kind of dirty, actually. Does it sound? Like, well, that could be my... It sounds dirty. Oh, I'm sorry. That could just be the my scratchy throat as well. Exactly. Drupal VM is definitely not dirty. It's a very, you know, it's very. Well, I was thinking Windows. The Windows. Oh, part. that kind of dirty it is what you were well, making sound dirty. Then I was dirty. Yes, guilty. Um, after that, Kathy uh, Thays and, and Peter Willanen, and thank you for correcting my spelling on that in the rundown. I was looking at that earlier and said that can't be right the way I had that spelled. Um, so thank you, Anna, for that. Uh, they're coming on, uh, talking about the Drupal security team. Peter is a veteran. Kathy is a newbie on the security team. So we're going to be talking about that. And then after that, we will have the one and only Ryan Zrama um, from Commerce Guys talking about the recent changes at Commerce Guys. And I'm sure um, it will be unavoidable to uh, get into Commerce 2.x as well. So I'm looking forward to that one because Ryan is always a, a, a fun guy to have on the podcast, full of energy beyond any reasonable explanation, in my opinion, as well. <laughs> um, so I think I think we've done it, right, Anna? Anything else? No, I, I think that's it. The already to head off till next time. All right, fantastic. We will see everybody on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya!